on uh, our Sunday school lesson for this morning, which is the last of our Baptist foundations uh, and the second part of two in regards to elder-led congregationalism. So just as a reminder of where we've come from, uh, we started with what is a church and church membership, and then we moved to church ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And, and also be clear, kind of what we talked about there, as we've, as we've worked through, nope, I'll, I'll continue, I'll finish this, and then I'll get there. Uh, so what is a church and church membership, ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, church discipline, and then elders and deacons, and then we have elder-led congregationalism, one and two. And one thing that we talked about, we've talked about throughout, is really Baptist distinctives, first and foremost, the most important thing that makes a Baptist a Baptist is actually not baptism, but regenerate church membership, okay? And then I would say the autonomy of the local church. So Baptists have been fierce in a good way about insisting that each local church should be autonomous, and then, then actually, there's baptism. But what is baptism? Uh, what is why is it so important that only believers are baptized? Because it's protecting regenerate church membership, right? And so, the Lord's Supper is doing the same thing. So too, church discipline is doing the same thing. Uh, so, baptism is the entry ordinance into the church, right? Lord's Supper is the continuing ordinance in the church. And then church discipline is the back door of church membership if someone shows themselves to be acting in such a way as to where they are not appearing to be regenerate. So Baptists care about regenerate church membership um, most of all. Regenerate church membership, autonomy of the local church, and then, of course, believer's baptism. So, I'm going to do just a brief review of the basics of elder-led congregationalism. We spent all of last time on this. So, if you have questions about this, it's probably best to just listen to that first. Uh, So, definition of elder-led congregationalism in brief. Jesus has given the members of each local congregation final authority under his word over the doctrine, leadership, and membership of the church. Elders fulfill their biblical role in leading, equipping, and overseeing the congregation in fulfilling these responsibilities, but the congregation still bears final authority. So essentially, in elder-led congregationalism, elders really do lead, but the congregation also really does have real authority. And you see it in specific areas. And the reason why you see it in specific areas is because I think God intends for the church to defer to the leadership and the authority of the elders. But at the same time, Scripture makes clear that the congregation has authority in certain regards. So uh, what, where do you see the authority of the congregation manifest in Scripture? You see the authority of the congregation made manifest in church membership, those passages there. You see the congregation having authority in regards to doctrine. You see those passages there. And you see the congregation having authority in regards to leadership, uh, which is 
connected to doctrine. If the church is responsible ultimately for its doctrine, it obviously makes sense that they would also have uh, authority in regards to who, who are their teachers, who are their pastors, because their pastors, their teachers, their elders are going to be the ones who are promulgating that doctrine, teaching and instructing that doctrine. All right. And then this is all undergirded by passages in regards to the keys of the kingdom, which, again, we talked about last time. You can see those passages in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, and Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. And in essence, what you see there is that Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter on behalf of all the disciples. But those keys, according to Matthew 18, it's clear that those keys are not just given to the apostles. It's given to the congregation of the, as a whole. And then what are the keys for? Well, you see it in the passage in Matthew 18 that keys are the authority to declare with heaven's authority the what and the who of the gospel. Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to the congregation, to the local congregation, and those keys are the authority to declare with heaven's authority the what and the who of the gospel. What is a right confession? Who is a true confessor? Thus, the congregation is responsible for doctrine, the what, and for membership, the who. Okay? All right. I want to compare... uh, I want to compare elder-led congregationalism to other models of church government and just help you to see visually and descriptively other models of church government. Uh, So first of all, the Episcopal form of government. Let me just see if this works. Can you see that? I have wonderful handwriting. making fun of the pastor. Uh, All right, I'm just, all right. This is moving too. That's not exact. I mean, you know, give me a little bit of grace here. Um. Okay, that is the Episcopalian form of church government. Let me kind of walk you through it. The Episcopal, and this is a quote from this book right here. The Episcopal form of government takes its name from episkopos or bishop, who is the key figure in the system. He has oversight over all the congregations in an area called a diocese. He alone has the power to ordain those who serve in individual congregations. These individuals are called by various titles in different communions. Uh, communion is another word for denomination. Uh, in kind of an old-school way, minister, rector, or priest. I have rector written here. I have rector or pastor, but you could put minister, priest, whatever. The bishop assigns these individuals to their respective congregations. More developed forms of Episcopalianism 
add another level above the bishop called an archbishop, who is over a number of bishops. Authority flows from the top down, from archbishop... Where'd my thing go? Where'd you go? Okay, seriously? Okay, here we go. I have to put my keys in the same spot every time I come home, just to be clear. Same with my wallet, and I lose them often, and there are ways that my wife is just gracious towards me, and that's one of them. So, Archbishop, down to the bishop, down to the rector, down to the church. Everybody savvy? Authority flows from the top down in this model. From archbishop to bishop to minister, rector to priest. And this system is followed, by the way, by the, with, with slight nuances. This system is followed by the Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican and Episcopalian churches, the United Methodist Church, and many other denominations, including Lutheranism uh, and others. So Lutherans follow this model as well. Questions about this? Is this clear enough? Is a long way off. Yeah. Yeah. There, uh, so there is biblical, they would say no. Uh, they would say, well, no, we get this from the word episkopos, bishop, which episkopos does mean bishop, but episkopos also, episkopos and bishop means what I do. Um, so uh, I don't think that this is a biblically accurate model, no. Yes. Yeah, other, other questions on that or comments? I realize I'm a, I'm a geek, so this is cool to me. Um, yes, John? Carol? I don't know the specific answer to that question. I don't know. In a, in a pure world where everything works well, you know, it's because of their evident godliness and leadership capabilities. In a world where things don't work as well, 
it may also have a lot to do with politics and who you know. Um, so, but one thing I'll argue here in a minute is because, well, elder-led congregationalism has its train wrecks. So some of you, you know, in this room have probably observed absolute train wrecks where there's no respect for authority. It's just a, it's just, it's just a, it's a goat rodeo uh, is what it is. And so um, I would just say we can't evaluate any model just based upon our experiences and we really, and, and in fairness, we want to evaluate models not by the worst example of each model. We want to evaluate the models based upon, you know, uh, fair examples of each model, okay? But also, even more primarily, we want to ask the question, which model seems to be the most biblical? Like, that's the primary question, okay? Uh, okay, let's talk about Presbyterian church government. Okay, Presbyterian church government. always want to misspell presbytery, so, you know, I'm just double-checking myself. Okay. The Presbyterian form is followed in varying degrees by a wide variety of churches. This is another quote from John Hammett's book. By a wide variety of churches. On the local level, uh, Presbyterianism stands for the governance of the church by presbyters or elders. This group is called the session in Presbyterian churches. So you have a congregation. You have a congregation, and that congregation, okay, is under the governance of a session, and the session is just a fancy name for a board of elders, okay? Um, So this group is often called a session in Presbyterian churches. The consistory, or the consistory in Christian reform circles, and simply the elders in some independent or non-denominational churches. Within the group of elders, there is normally one recognized as the teaching elder or pastor. In a large church, other staff members may also be elders, but usually the majority of the elders are lay members of the congregation. Congregations typically have some role in selecting of the elder, in selection of the elders, either via direct election or giving approval to those nominated by the existing elders. In either case, however, the ruling authority is vested in the elders. Denominations who follow Presbyterianism add another, add other organizational levels beyond the local church. Representatives of each session in an area, so here's the session, okay? So this would be true of our PCA brethren just up north, um, Seth Anderson, good brother, uh, pastor of the Presbyterian Church in 
church in St. Albans. Representatives of each session in an area form a presbytery. Okay? The presbytery can review decisions or resolve disputes between sessions. The presbytery also holds the official title to the property and buildings of the local congregation. Some denominations have a regional level called the synod, but the highest level is the national level, the general assembly, composed of representatives from various presbyteries. So you have representatives from various presbyteries. They all ultimately will make up the general assembly representatives. So the general assembly sets the overall doctrine and policy for all local congregations that compose the denomination. So that's the Presbyterian model of church government. Questions or comments on that? Yes? Yeah, it is, it is uh, groups, uh, it is uh, it's just elder boards of elder boards of elder boards, if you will. It's not just one bishop. So this session is made up of, in the PCA world, which is the good example of this, in the Presbyterian Church of America, which is Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming Presbyterians. Um, good, good brothers. Um, so you would have elders... Uh, this is the, the session would be elders, um, and also there's typically, say, one main teaching pastor. Okay, that would be Seth up north. Okay, and then there is a pres there is a presbytery above the session, and uh, the presbytery is made up of various. Uh, actually, I couldn't describe tightly who the presbytery is made up of, so I wouldn't want to misspeak. Um, but then above the presbytery, there's the synod. And then above the synod, there's a general assembly. Now, what is still true is that, all, is that ultimately authority does still flow downward. And this is not an autonomous local church. This church has some autonomy in selecting its session, some, okay? But it's not autonomous. And uh, this congregation does not own its land or its facility. Um, it's owned by the denomination, Right? The presbytery holds all the titles to land. Boy, that is pretty right there. Um, yeah. Yeah, other questions or comments? Yes, Ricky? Where do the tithes go? I have to be honest with you, I don't know. Eric? Another good organization. The other interesting thing is that, at least in the OTC, the pastor is not a member of the local church. He's a member of the presbytery. 
Matt, did you have a question or were you scratching? I don't know. I actually don't know. Oh, you can? Yeah, go ahead. This is true. This is true. Yeah, that is true. Other questions or comments on this? Okay, so, oh, Chris. They are also part of a session, yes. So typically, guys who serve in a session will serve in other roles as well. As to the specifics, I couldn't elaborate without being inaccurate. I don't want to be inaccurate. So in, in contrast to this, elder-led congregationalism is rather simple. It's, it's just rather simple. Baptists have always insisted on the autonomy of local churches, that there is no ecclesiastical authority above the local church which can uh, cause its will to be enforced upon the local church, that each local church is independent and has the freedom, yea, responsibility, and authority to govern itself in accord with Scripture as it sees fit. Baptists have always insisted upon this, okay? This does not mean that Baptists do not participate uh, beyond the local level. Baptists have historically participated significantly beyond the local level. But it's in a partnership or association, and that association does not have ecclesial authority over the church. There is willing participation amongst churches. Churches come together. Um, We are part of a denomination, the BGC, Baptist General Conference, and we willingly send funds to support the BGC. However, the BGC cannot tell us, you will do this, you will do that. The BGC can disfellowship us if we uh, no longer hold to doctrinal positions that they hold to, because we do say we will subscribe to these things. Or we, of course, could willingly leave the BGC if they were to 
uh, hold to doctrinal positions that we were to find uh, inconsistent with the gospel. So there's freedom on both sides. There's participation, there's association, there's partnership. There's not like, we're independent, we do whatever we want to do. That's not the spirit. The spirit is each local church needs to govern itself, and each local church is autonomous, but we don't want to be independent and not partner. Does that make sense? And then elder-led congregationalism, just within the local, just with, on the local level, what elder-led congregationalism is making sense of is all of these texts that we've looked at before that speak very clearly to elder authority, that elders are to lead and elders do have real authority, and the congregation is called to submit to the elder's authority. And yet, there are very clear passages that speak of the congregation's authority as well. And so how do we make sense of this? It seems as though how we make sense of this, not seems as though, uh, Baptists for years have made sense of this to say that congregationalists, that, sorry, <laughs> that, that elders lead. It is elder-led, congregationally governed. The elders lead, but the congregation is the final court of appeals in matters regarding membership, doctrine, and leadership. Does that make sense? So, with, with that in view, what are some components of well-ordered, elder-led congregationalism? Number one, regenerate membership. Regenerate membership. It's incredibly important under elder-led congregationalism that the membership is regenerate because the membership ultimately is responsible for doctrine, for membership and for leadership. And so if you don't have a believer in membership, that is dangerous and not healthy. So regenerate membership is vital in elder-led congregationalism for it to go well. Also, you need to have meaningful membership. Meaningful membership. In other words, you can't just be a member and never show up and then decide to come whenever there's something that needs to be decided and you want to throw your weight around because you have a vote. And so you go and you stir up your brother Billy and his brother Bobby and your cousin Jimmy and his uncle Joe, and you come and you just make a big stink. Um, That is terrible. Uh, So you need to have meaningful membership wherein you are committing to the well-being of your brothers and sisters in Christ, committing to submitting to the authority of your elders, um, it it needs to actually be something of substance. Does that make sense? Uh, It needs to be something of substance, the membership. You also need to have qualified leadership. If you don't have qualified leadership in elder-led congregationalism, um, I mean, every church just needs good leaders, Uh, Every organization needs good leaders. Every home needs a good leader. You just know this. This is common sense. If you don't have a good leader who is both competent and qualified, who really cares about the well-being of whatever sphere of authority he has, things just don't go well, okay? Uh, You know, it's like judges. Uh, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How was the book of Judges? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a train wreck, and it's really uncomfortable to read. Um, so 
without qualified biblical leadership, elder-led congregationalism doesn't go well. And then also, you need to have humble leadership. Humble leadership. Because, you know what? Ultimately, the congregation, the congregation has a say. And so, you need to have humble leadership that can receive that. Does that make sense? So, I would say those are some components of well-ordered congregationalism. Um, there are some blessings that relate to elder-led congregationalism that I just want to bring out. Number one, it stimulates maturity and growth in church members since they must actively take responsibility for one another to know, care for, disciple, pray for, and guard one another. Members of the local church are not just passengers on the bus, but instead bear tangible spiritual responsibility for one another when the congregation acts to receive a new member they are committing to be responsible for that person's discipleship and growth. This is just something that we talk about a lot here, is how how we are responsible for one another. Does that make sense? Well, elder-led congregationalism really kind of just puts an additional onus upon that. It says you you really are responsible for one another. Really. It's not just that that people come in and then the the elders take care of everybody. No. You are to take care of one another. This is a responsibility that you've been given as a member. Uh, elder-led congregationalism also protects the church from doctrinal drift. This is a quote from Mark Dever's book, A Display of God's Glory. He says this, quote, Friends, the verdict of history is in. While it is clear that no certain polity, polity is just church governance structure, while it is clear that no certain polity prevents churches from error, from declension, and from sterility, the more centralized polities seem to have a worse track record than does congregationalism in maintaining a faithful, a faithful, vital, evangelical witness. It's really the point you were getting to, John, when you said in, in these organizations wherein there's a hierarchy of authority beyond that of the local level, if, if things go south theologically up here, this... This body can't do anything about that, okay? In elder-led congregationalism, autonomous local churches, this body can do something about that. It also places greater onus upon the elders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In a congregational form of church government, elders must, must teach and train the congregation to make decisions and fulfill their biblical responsibilities. The elders are responsible to help the congregation grow in maturity Thus, congregationalism aids in growing disciples who will act as mature gospel ambassadors. Let me just give, uh, do a couple of FAQs and then just open it wide up to questions on this, on this topic uh, or any other topic in relation to Baptist ecclesiology. Um, so, a couple of questions. Is elder-led congregationalism different from how RGC is currently governed? I would say yes and no. Yes, in that currently our Constitution states that we are an elder-ruled church. Thus, all authority is vested solely in the elders as a board. However, in practice, we have operated like an elder-led congregational church for quite some time by taking membership advisory votes on all major decisions. So, essentially, what do you have here at Redeeming Grace Church, which I think you appreciate? It is that... 
Number one, we have meaningful membership wherein the members truly see one another as responsible for one another and involved in the life of the church. And we also have intentional, active, real leadership from the elders. Now, when there are major decisions that need to be made, constitutional decisions, hiring decisions, financial decisions, um, church discipline decisions, what do we do? We bring those things before you. We actually bring things before you that we don't technically even need to bring before you. But we just think it's smart leadership to do that because we want you to be active and involved. But essentially, we bring before you those major matters and we take a member's advisory vote. Okay? Now, what would... uh, Oh, this actually gets to the next thing. In practice, what would change if we became an elder-led congregational church? Very little. Instead of members' advisory votes on budget, on discipline, on constitutional changes, or on pastoral staffing, the members' vote would be binding. So essentially, what we already do is we bring before you, we bring before the membership, the matters that we, that we, that we actually think, according to the, the Bible, we need to bring before you. Matters in relation to discipline, matters in relation to doctrine, constitution, and matters in relation to leadership. Uh, we, we think you have the ultimate say in that, I would argue. So we bring that to you and we take a member's advisory vote. Now, according to our constitution, you are simply advising us all authority is vested in us. So elder-led congregational would say, just flip that script. So when we take that vote the vote would be binding instead of advisory. Does that make sense? So that would be what would change if we were to make this change. I would tell you we would need to think through how we receive members uh, because currently the congregation is not involved in the reception of members, only the departure of members under church discipline. So we'd need to just think through how do we actually receive members in a way that the congregation is involved because currently all we do is just announce to you. So in many churches uh, that I know of, let's say Clifton Baptist in Louisville, where I was a member for four and a half years during seminary, uh, this is just a for this is just a for example. What what the elders would do is the elders would essentially publish the uh, the uh, 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 the testimony of the person being brought into membership. at the next membership meeting, the elders would publish the testimony about two weeks prior to where the membership could read that testimony, ask ask the prospective members any questions that they have, and at the next members meeting, the elders would bring that person in front of the congregation and say, we have vetted this person, we feel comfortable bringing this person into membership, you have had two weeks to consider this person, and then that person would be sent out of the room, and that pastor would say, does anybody have any questions in regards to bringing this purpose person into membership? Um, and the questions need to be restricted to not, is this person's life just all hunky-dory perfect? It needs to be, do you, based upon their testimony and your knowledge of them, do you believe them to be a believer? Because that's what's most important, regenerate church membership. And then the congregation would say, no, no concerns, bring them into membership, and then we'd bring them in, and then hugs all around, all that stuff. Um, that's just one one way I've seen it done. Uh, at Steve Thiel's church in Proclamation, uh, they don't publish the, the testimony, but they do let the prospective members 
be known to the congregation before their upcoming membership meeting, and then the elders present them, and then the congregation votes to receive them. They shall not read their testimony. So that's really a matter of wisdom and prudence. So there's lots of wisdom and prudence here, um, which again is why you need elder leadership, uh, because the elders really do need to lead. So questions on, we have some time for questions. Questions about elder-led congregationalism, questions about other aspects of Baptist ecclesiology. Sonia? Uh, well, I don't specifically know what Kevin is saying, but I would say what I would say um, is that we did have a situation wherein we brought to, which again, we didn't feel like we needed to do this, um, but we we brought before the congregation uh, changing the, the location of the Lord's Supper in the worship service, okay? Um, we had it in the middle, and we used to have halftime, um, and so... Um, if you weren't here for, if you don't know what I'm talking about, so previously our services would start at 10 a.m., uh, and then the, the first half would end with the Lord's Supper, and then we'd have halftime, uh, and every team would go to its locker room and uh, kind of review the plays and then come back. Um, just kidding. Um, so, and it wasn't hard at all to get everybody back for the second part of the service. It was not, it was not hard at all. Um, so uh, we, we brought before the congregation, we'd like to change the location of the Lord's Supper to the end of the service after the preaching of the word. There were a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I was relatively new in, in my pastorate, and it was clear to us that although the congregation overall supported it, it was, it was a very meager support. It was like, you know, 60-40 or something like that. It was clear that it was just like there was a lot of unsettled hearts about this. So we just decided, yeah, we're actually not going to do it. Um, and we waited a good year or two, and all we did was every third month or so, we'd change the order of the service, and we'd have it at the end to where people could just see what that felt like, and then we'd just go back to normal. And then we continued to do that, and then we ultimately made the change when the congregation was more comfortable, and we could tell the congregation was more comfortable. Yeah. No. Not in my time. And I've been here almost 10 years, yes. In our denomination, I would say it, I don't even know how to answer that question. Our denomination is all across the map um, with, with how they're governed. Uh, all across the map. Um, so, I would say this represents a very... Uh, historic train of Baptist theology and Baptist ecclesiology. Uh, I would say since the early 20th century, wherein uh, essentially uh, the church just began to think a lot less about ecclesiology and began to be impacted a lot more by pragmatic approaches to success in ministry, that for the most part, a lot of churches just haven't done much thinking about this. 
independent churches. Now, our, our brethren who are part of, say, a more institutional church, they've done a lot of thinking about this. Um, and there is some good to commend to the PCA model, uh, to the Presbyterian model. I don't think it's ultimately the most biblically faithful model. But so in the early 20th century, essentially independent churches just, just began to throw all theological information to the wind and were basically like, whatever works, let's do it. Uh, so there's just all sorts of goofy church structure out there. I, I couldn't even begin to answer how much, most of the churches in our denominations do it. Other questions? Ricky. Well, here I was ordained by these elders uh, at the beginning of my tenure. Um, Historically, Baptists have either done that or the Baptist Association, of which they have been a part the Baptist Association uh, conducts a process wherein the pastor is vetted and then ordained, and then essentially it's a matter of honor as to whether or not the pastor, if the, the ordaining body would say, if, if you at any time in your life or ministry no longer hold to these core convictions that, that are set out in the ordaining body, then we ask you to remove yourself from our from being ordained by us because you no longer represent us. But again, they have no ecclesi- ecclesial authority over them. Other questions? So one of the reasons we did Baptist Foundations is because we want to just lay some groundwork for... Um, for making some constitutional changes, which we'll bring before you likely sometime in the fall or late fall for you to consider. Um, and so, uh, really, we just want to, we want our Constitution to reflect what we think is most biblical and also really how we actually practice and how we actually do our business. So, if you're sitting here and you're, and you're worried and you're thinking, um, you know, when you when you hear elder-led congregationalism, you just think of, of a congregationalist church that you knew that was just crazy, and so you're worried and you're a little bit anxious. I would just I would just ask you. I would just want to tell you, really, all we're doing is we're wanting to move in a direction that we that we a think is most biblical, and b is actually the way in which we already operate. We have been operating this way for years. It's really a technicality in regards to changing our constitution to reflect what we are doing uh, already. Does that make sense? So don't think major changes, sky is falling, total reorg of our church. No. We want to to have our constitution reflect how we actually already do business in a way that we think is most biblically faithful. So that's the thinking behind it. And you'll have plenty of opportunity to ask me or the other elders about that as the time approaches. So... With that, let me just close this in prayer. Thank you. I'm up here if you have any questions. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for this church. Thank you for blessing us. 
please, Father, continue to bless us. Grant us as elders wisdom and courage and clarity as we lead. And may our members, may this church do the work of ministry with vigor, with excitement, with love for your Son, the Lord Jesus, and love for your people. Yes, he sings in Jesus' name. Amen.